Hello and welcome to another birthday special from the Podfic Pals. Today's special is all about Emu, who is known as Lady Londonderry on AO3 and London Fog in a Cup on Tumblr. We will have four fics for you today because we have a very special guest reading one of Emu's fics. First, Evie will read To Be Gathered Round. Tabby will read Don't Bring the Starbucks. Mia will read To the Late Night Double Feature Show. And our very special guest, Anitra, will read Moon Dances Over. We hope you enjoy, and Emu, happy birthday! Hi, I'm Evie, and today I'm going to be reading To Be Gathered Round by Lady Londonderry. This fic was written for the Wordplay Prompt 4.5 board. Some of the tags include established Harry Styles Zoe Tomlinson, alternate universe boarding school, witches, magic, magical creatures, and talk of disabilities. The summary reads, Liam Payne is the worst witch at Mossbridge Boarding Academy, and he absolutely knows it. It's not his fault that his potions always bubble over, and his hat tends to disappear, and more often than not his spells come out a little flat. He's only a half-witch, after all. He hasn't grown up in the witchy community, and his mum talks all the time about how it was a miracle that he was even able to get into the academy in the first place. He's trying his best, he really is. And he wants to be a good witch, he truly does. It's just that he started out behind, and he only got more behind, and the other witches decided early on that he would only hold them back. So, here he is, going into his fifth and final year, the only witch in his class who isn't part of a coven. Mossbridge Boarding Academy for Young Witches is just not where Liam wants to be. Liam Payne is the worst witch at Mossbridge Boarding Academy, and he absolutely knows it. It's not his fault that his potions always bubble over and his hat tends to disappear, and more often than not his spells come out a little flat. He's only a half-witch, after all. He hasn't grown up in the witchy community, and his mum talks all the time about how it was a miracle that he was even able to get into the academy in the first place. He's trying his best, he really is, and he wants to be a good witch, he truly does. It's just that he started out behind, and he only got more behind, and the other witches decided early on that he would only hold them back. So here he is, going into his fifth and final year, the only witch in his class who isn't part of a coven. Mossbridge Boarding Academy for Young Witches is just not where Liam wants to be. On the first day of his final year at Mossbridge, Liam gathers with all the other witches to hear the headmistress speak. He's already been docked points for having his hat on crooked, but in his defense he felt someone tugging at it in the hall, so it wasn't his fault. And he missed breakfast because he apparently forgot to pack his alarm. So he's really rather hungry and a little moody and just looking forward to a nice afternoon nap during his free period, if he's being totally honest. The headmistress, a stern older woman named Miss Bruce, welcomes them back and leads them into school tune, about the only thing that Liam is good at, if he's honest. After she tells them all to be seated, she rattles on about good marks and representing the school well and all the other usual first day of term sort of things. Liam tunes her out and starts going over the spells he was supposed to memorize over the summer. 
wondering just how many ways he'll manage to muck them up in class. He only tunes back in at the very end, just in time to hear Ms. Bruce say, Yes, and we were, of course, saddened to hear about the fire that raged in Tenebris Academy a few months ago, and while they rebuild, we are going to be hosting a small number of witches at our own school. If you're from Tenebris, please stand so that we may give you a warm Mossbridge welcome. Liam, who has very pointedly chosen a seat in the back corner of the auditorium, is startled to see four boys directly in front of him stand. He can see one roll his eyes as the crowd claps. There's a little confusion among the students before they seem to en masse decide that clapping is the warm welcome Miss Bruce was referring to. They definitely look older than most of the students here, and Liam wonders what class they're in. They probably all were shucked here together because they'd already formed a coven, so he can guess they're at least fourth year. When Miss Bruce releases them to head to their homerooms, Liam dawdles. He's a little nosy and a lot interested in the four new students, and it's not like he has many friends to catch up with after the end of summer. It's not that Liam has no friends. It's just that he has more acquaintances. He stands and stretches and waits until the four file out in front of him before following. Not an especially impressive place, is it? asks the one with the fluffy brown hair. We do come from a school that prides itself on being gothic, says the one with dark hair. Somewhere with a name like Mossbridge, you'd expect it to look a bit more... Mossy? Sounds like the kind of place my nan would go for tea, says the one with the curls. Or like the bakery I worked at over the summer. All you did was sweep the floors, says the redhead. You weren't even getting paid, you just did it for the croissants. Does that really count? Of course it does. We all benefited from the croissants. Yeah, leave has alone. That's the first one again, his voice a little higher pitched, a little cutting. Plus, we hardly saw you all summer. Thought we were all going to get together for the solstice. The redhead groans. I told you my ma'am's side of the family insisted on a trip to the coast because my cousin was born. It's not my fault he happened to be the seventh son of a seventh son. Liam gets so caught up in listening to their conversation that he doesn't even realize when they've stopped walking and runs right into the one in the back with the dark hair. Sorry, I'm sorry, he mumbles, backing up. It's no problem, the boy says, giving him a cool glance. Just maybe don't spend so much time listening to other people's private conversations and you'll pay more attention to where you're going instead. Liam's ears burn as his face heats up, and he pushes past the four of them, who are all staring at him now. Yep, this would happen to him on the first day of classes. He hurries down the hallway and into fifth-year incantations, taking a seat at the back, only to get his things settled and look up to see all four boys traipsing in after him. Because of course they are. They don't sit particularly near him, all sequestered together in the opposite corner. No one else who comes in sits directly next to him either, probably remembering the hazards that come with sitting near the worst witch in a class. Liam spends most of the class doing an embarrassment still, but he does learn their names. Louis, clearly the leader. Harry, the curly-haired one, clearly dating the leader. Zane, dark hair and intelligent eyes. And Niall, whose hair by the end of class is not red anymore, but a deep cerulean. They're interesting, and Liam doesn't want to get caught out listening again, but the first day of class is always boring, and he'd really rather hear a bit more about the new boys than about how grading works for the fifth year in a row.
Still, he doesn't dare approach them after class. They've got their own coven going on, and Liam's the awkward kid who's already made a bad first impression. The Tenebris Academy boys are actually in the majority of Liam's classes, and Liam just keeps running into them. During his potions class, and upper-level chance, the only one he's moderately good at, and about the only class he finds himself without them is Charms, a class that's really only useful if you're going to be a street vendor or a traveling witch anyway. Each class, Liam finds his seat near the back and ends up people-watching for most of the period. He loses a number of points this way, especially in Latin, where he should have had all of the prefixes and suffixes for the first week memorized already, but whenever they got to his turn in the round, he had no idea where on the sheet they were supposed to be. By the end of the day, he's more than ready to get back to his dorm and unpack the rest of his belongings. By the end of the day, he's more than ready to get back to his dorm and unpack the rest of his belongings, without worrying about looking like he's being as nosy as he clearly is. His dorm is tiny, because as far as he's aware, he's the only fifth-year student without a coven. That's okay, he reasons to himself. He can get more work done this way, concentrate better. He falls asleep almost as soon as he gets into his bed, and does no homework whatsoever. The first month of school passes slowly and uneventfully, with Liam managing to just squeak by in classes. His spells misfire and his potions burn. He gets a cramp in his hand during wand sessions. Maybe he should have just gone to the local human school this year. It's not until halfway through October that anything really changes. And it all happens because of a group project and incantations. The groups are divided up by the three covens in class, as Mr. Lee apparently temporarily forgot that Liam was there. That's fine. After mulling it over, Mr. Lee instructs him to go with the smallest coven in the class the four boys from Tenebris. Liam approaches them with caution after the assignment is given out, feeling bad that they've been stuck with him, and feeling nervous about having to interact with them. He knows all their names well by now, even if they don't know his. Zane is the one who scoots his chair back, silently offering Liam an empty spot. Liam pulls up his chair and sits awkwardly among them. They all look at him. He looks at them. Hello, he says. I'm Liam. We know, says Louis. Niall smacks him with a notebook. Ow! Don't be rude, chides Niall. Hello, says Harry, holding out his hand. I'm Harry. I know, Liam says on the inside. I've seen you all. I'm Niall, says Niall. That's Zane. This is Louis. Let's just get all the weirdness out of the way before we work. Why aren't you in a coven? Liam looks down and almost misses Louis smacking Niall with his notebook. You don't have to answer that, Louis says, because asking a question like that is rude. No, it's okay, Liam says. I just didn't get one, he gulps. I'm the worst witch in the school, basically, and I don't think anyone wants a liability like that in their coven. Harry's horrible at spells, Louis points out. Sure am, says Harry. Transported myself to Geneva once while trying to summon rice pudding. There, you're probably not that much worse than Harry. Uh, says Liam. Thanks? No problem, says Louis. Happy to help, says Harry. The answers to the top sheet are A, C, and F, says Zane, who's already on page three. 
The group project lasts two weeks, and for two weeks Liam gets to experience what it's like to have a coven. They drag him everywhere. Louis, mostly. He's suddenly expected to sit with them at meals, discussing the project, but mostly discussing life. They invite him for a game of footy, because Niall injured his knee and they need a replacement. They cover for him when he forgets his textbook, and Niall at one point magics up a frog when his brew doesn't absorb the one he put in. It's nice in a way he never let himself dream about. At the end of two weeks, presenting their project to the class, Louis flashes him a thumbs up, even after Liam's spell goes wonky and sets a small fire. He's so sad walking out of that class, but tries not to think about it. Maybe there'll be another group project, since by this year all the covens should have been formed. Maybe they'll include him again. But then, as he turns the corner, four boys start yelling at him, and he turns around to see Louis asking why he's going that way, and aren't they all going to lunch together? So he follows them, and hopes things keep going for a little while longer. How the four boys so thoroughly take Liam under their wing is still a mystery, even to Liam. It's as if one minute he was on his own, just trying to make it through the end of the year, and the next he had four people around, dragging him with them wherever they went. I know you're shit at potions, but Liam, will you help me chop my frog legs? Louis yells at him through the near-empty workroom as they prep for class in the morning. Oh, mine too, says Harry. He's not even pretending to do work, just sitting in Louis's seat as Louis stands in front of him working. Liam's chopped all of his frog legs already, and has nothing better to do, so he does step over to Louis and takes the knife from him. It's good to be needed. You're both lazy, Niall yells from his own station, where he's miles ahead of the rest of them. Liam, don't listen to them. They gotta do it themselves. I can't use iron, though, Harry whines, falling forward to rest his chest against Louis's back. No knives are made of iron, Zane says. They're all steel. He's sitting on the floor in front of his workstation, nothing even slightly prepped, as he carves designs into the floor with his own knife. Why can't you work with iron? Liam asks, dicing Louis's frog legs into neat piles. It's because I'm a changeling, Harry says. Fairy blood. Iron makes my hands go all red and itchy. Also, he goes into anaphylactic shock, Louis says. What? Liam asks, eyes wide. Only for a minute, Harry assuages. I've got an EpiPen. It's fine. It's not fine, Louis argues. I've had to stab you too many times. Harry shrugs, smiling. I'm still fine, though. So you're not full witch? Liam asks, wondering if that's impolite to ask. Not technically, Harry says. My parents are witches, but they're my adopted parents. Being a changeling, I do get, like, some of their abilities, though. Plus fairy abilities. It's all very mysterious. Fairy abilities, like, he can steal your name, Louis says, so be careful there. Hey, Harry pokes him. I wouldn't, though. I'm polite. Liam overlooks that possibly horrifying comment. I'm not full witch either, he says, just on my mum's side. Yeah? Louis asks, looking up with interest. Is your dad human? I mean, we assume so, Liam says. He's not around, so I can't exactly ask. But as far as anyone knows, he was. Well, that does sort of explain things, Niall says then. What? When Louis shoots him a nasty glance. 
Yeah, I guess so, Liam agrees. I've got to get the bad at magic gene from somewhere. At least he's good at chopping frog legs, though. He moves on to Harry's cutting board after finishing with Louis. Harry beams at him, and Liam smiles back. If he can't be good at magic, at least he can be helpful with others. There's a knock at Liam's door way too early in the morning for a Sunday. Then there's another knock. Then there's a barrage of knocks. The knocks, they do not stop. Liam groans and rolls out of bed, walking over and throwing open the door without bothering to put on a shirt. Four boys roll in, looking very awake and alive. Liam! Louis yells, bounding over and bouncing onto his bed, where he's immediately joined by Harry. We found your dad. You what? Liam asks, shutting the door. His dorm room is small, barely big enough for his bed, dresser, and desk. Now, having four friends in it, the room seems even smaller. Zane sits at his desk while Niall, with platinum blonde hair today, takes the floor. Liam also takes the floor. After all, they're the guests. You said you thought your dad was human, Louis says. But I wanted to know for sure, you know? Liam doesn't even remember his father. I guess, he says. So Harry looked up your birth certificate, Louis says. You can do that? You can if your dad works for the government, Harry says. You actually might be able to otherwise. I have no idea. I always just ask him. That doesn't feel legal, Liam says. I'm pretty sure it's not, Niall agrees. But we just let him go with it. He always does that. Harry pouts in Niall's direction, but Louis continues talking. Anyway, so we looked him up, and turns out you're not half-human at all, he says. He waits for a reaction from Liam, apparently. Huh? says Liam. Louis looks dissatisfied with that reaction. Liam, you're not half-human. You're half-druid. Liam frowns. Oh, he says. He doesn't know a lot about druids. There aren't many in Wolverhampton. My great-uncle's a druid, Zane pipes up. He's pretty cool. That's cool, says Liam. So I'm half-druid, I guess? You don't seem particularly excited says Harry. I mean, hedges Liam, I'm not. I guess I just don't know why it matters, is all. Liam, this is a disability, Louis says, looking at him with something akin to shock. That's why this matters. It explains everything. Oh, says Liam, shrinking into his seat. Well, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Of course Liam's disabled. He's been terrible his whole life, after all. No, I don't think you know what I'm saying, says Louis, his voice gravely serious. He puts a hand on Liam's. This is like... It's like you've been trying to learn the same spells and potions and incantations as the rest of the class, but in a different language. Your body doesn't work the same way as most students do. And you've been punished for it instead of being given accommodations like you should have. The three others are also nodding at him, like this all makes total sense. But they've always known I was only half-witch, Liam argues, confused. Why would this make any difference when that didn't? They should have made accommodations for you there, too, actually, Niall says. His hair has turned a brilliant shade of green. Half-witches, who are half-human, tend to find their powers harder to control, at least in the beginning. So you should have been given extra lessons. Yeah, that's Harry. 
Being a changeling means I have fairy blood, so I've been given specific spellbooks to learn from, and I'm exempt from tests making any brews involving iron. That's just common practice. Well, that makes sense for you, Liam argues. Iron can hurt you. Listen, says Louis, standing up. We're all going to go to the library right now and find you a proper druid spellbook and see if you can feel what we're talking about, yeah? I guess, says Liam. He's not sure it's going to make a difference, but everyone else is already following Louis' lead, so Liam can't imagine he'd be able to convince him otherwise. The most recent druid spellbook is from 1982, which doesn't instill Liam with much confidence, as Louis plops it down on the table in the back corner of the library where they've gathered. It's large and heavy and dusty, and the artwork on the cover is all geometric shapes and bad 80s design. Niall and Zane take their seats on the other side of the table, and Louis perches himself on Harry's legs as he opens the book and flips to a random page. There, try that one, he says, pointing to a spell that reads, Sparkler Lights. Liam leans over it and skims it. It says I need a staff, he says. Is that a druid thing? I don't have a staff. Ah, shit, hold on, Louis says, standing again. Harry pouts. He disappears among the shelves and comes back a few moments later with a meter stick. Where did you even get that? Liam asks as he takes it. There's always a bunch by the librarian's desk, Louis says with a shrug. To borrow for projects and stuff. Huh. Liam feels ridiculous holding a measuring stick in his hand, but he supposes it's not like the spell is going to work anyway. He bends over and reads the recipe, squinting at the out-of-date font choice and the words that he's never seen used in any class spells. Is it even still Latin? Fine. But if I set this place on fire, one of you will have to put it out, he says as he stands back. He taps on the ground three times with the staff, measuring sick, and then tries his best to read the spell words off the page. Immediately, sparks start shooting off from the end of his stick. They light up the whole room, disappearing before they reach the floor, and leaving no remains. Liam stares in shock, brandishing the stick in front of him like it's on fire. That was... so... easy. Louis cheers, loud whoops that are sure to get the attention of the librarian soon. Niall claps, and Zane, well, he smells. And that's pretty great, all on its own. See? Says Harry once the sparks have begun to die down. That's what it's supposed to be like. Proper accommodation is fucking important. Holy shit, says Liam. He says this just as the librarian appears, shooing them out of the library and deducting points from Liam for cursing. He's too happy to care, though. What are you going to do? asks Niall, as they traipse across the grounds in the direction of the dorms. Uh, says Liam. What do you mean? He has the terrible 80s spellbook clutched in his hands like it's more precious than gold. I mean, are you going to go to the headmistress, demand justice, go over her head and report the whole place to the authorities for not giving you the help you need? His hair is a blazing shade of red. Oh, says Liam. Um, no? You have to go to somebody, Louis argues. You need justice. 
I think I just want to be able to graduate, Liam says. And he feels ridiculous for saying it, because he probably should be demanding something or other or whatever. But he spent so long being known as the worst witch on campus that any chance to slip under the radar and make it through to the end of school is a lot more appealing. Sure, he's got friends now, but he'd still rather just get out of here as quickly as possible. Leave school behind and think about the future. What if someone else comes, though? Zane asks. Someone else who's half-druid. Don't you want to be able to make sure that they don't have to go through what you did? Liam frowns. He hugs the textbook tightly to his chest, and he frowns a whole lot. I guess, he says, he does care about someone else, but also... Should that even be his responsibility? After all, no one cared about him. No, but that's not true, is it? The four boys walking through the muddy grass with him, they cared, and they made life feel different. I'll do something, he concedes. I'll talk to someone. I'll talk to someone, Louis declares. I am the head of this coven, so that's my responsibility. Um, says Liam. He stops walking. Everyone else stops with him. Sorry, he says. This coven? Yeah, agrees Louis, like it's nothing out of the ordinary. This coven. You mean like the four of you, right? Louis looks hurt. Harry looks even more hurt. I mean the five of us, Louis says, frowning very intently at Liam. You needed a home, he says. I thought it was assumed your home was with us now. Oh, squeaks Liam. I did not assume that. Do you not want that? Harry asks, looking teary. No, I... I do. Liam puts up his hands and drops the book and fumbles to pick it back up. I just... I didn't think that was an option. You four are already... Covens grow, says Louis. My parents' coven is almost twenty people, Niall points out. My family's is over fifty, Zane says. Show off, says Harry. So we're all agreed, right? asks Louis, but he looks directly at Liam. I thought this was assumed, but apparently not. You do want to be part of us, don't you? Liam nods, immediately, desperately. Yes, please, he says. The spellbook in his arms has mud on it now, and there's likely mud on his uniform. He feels like he might cry. Good, says Louis. So we are going to take this case to the headmistress and get you proper accommodations, like you should have gotten years ago. And then we are going to find somewhere off campus to eat pizza. Your solution to everything ends with getting pizza, Zane complains. You got your celebration curry last week when we passed at final. This is Liam's celebration pizza, Louis says. Harry nods along seriously with Louis. I like Liam's celebration pizza, Liam says quietly. Everybody hears him, though. And that's not a bad thing. On May 26th, when the five of them graduate, Liam walks across the stage with his staff in hand. It's from the woods just off campus. Niall was the one to find it, 
and Zane immediately took it and carefully carved in all five of their names. Using it makes Liam feel like he's been given the gift of sight for the first time. Everything is easy now. Everything is possible. They stand on stage together, applauded by parents and relatives as they hold hands to represent a bond of their coven preparing them for the future. Liam's lived in their cramped dorm room for two months, no longer alone and lonely in his single room. It's been chaotic and better than he could have ever imagined. Tomorrow the five of them will go their separate ways and reunite with family members but just long enough to pack up their things so that they can travel to Harry's dad's bungalow and plan their next steps. Find a flat somewhere in the city for the five of them. The world is at their fingertips, and Liam isn't the worst witch anymore. Hi, my name is Nia, and today I'll be reading To the Late Night Double Feature Show. This fic is not rated. It is Harry Styles and Louis Tomlinson, it's 1.9k, and the tags are Halloween, crack, meet cute, this is a nonsense fake, happy Halloween. The summary is, it's the tap on his shoulder that notifies him. Louis jumps, whirling around and pulling one earbud out. Clifford barks in oblivious excitement. Sorry, says someone, I just wanted to know if I could pet your dog. Louis squints. He backs up a step. He wonders if the punch at the fancy dress party was spiked, or if one of the brownies Zane gave him had a little something extra in it, because there is definitely someone there, but there is also definitely not someone there. Uh, says Louis. Your dog, says someone. What's his name? Halloween loses a certain amount of appeal when all of your friends have kids and you're just stuck walking your dog. It's not that Louis has anything against the fact that all of his friends have kids. He loves their kids. He wishes they were his kids. Sometimes he takes them to the zoo so his friends can sleep, and he pretends they're his own little munchkins. He also was there with Liam and Zane mere hours ago when they were taking their twins to a fancy dress party that ended with toffee apples and sticky fingers. It was all great fun. But now it's only a little after nine, and here he is, alone in the park with Clifford, bundled up in the crisp night air. He passes the occasional punch-drunk happy couple in various levels of fancy dress, but for the most part his only company is a big slobbery dog who takes too long to do his business. His flat is small and empty, though, so it's not like he's in any hurry to get back anyway. He has earbuds in, cycling through a small playlist of Halloween hits, which is mostly just the Monster Mash and the entire Rocky Horror soundtrack. This is probably the reason why he doesn't hear someone coming up behind him. It's the tap on his shoulder that notifies him. Louis jumps, whirling around and pulling one earbud out. Clifford barks in oblivious excitement. Sorry, says someone. I just wanted to know if I could pet your dog. Louis squints. He backs up a step. He wonders if the punch at the fancy dress party was spiked, or if one of the brownies Zaynut gave him had a little something extra in it because there's definitely someone there, but there's also definitely not someone there. Uh, says Louis. Your dog, says the someone. What's his name? Clifford, says Louis. You can, yeah, of course you can. He doesn't bite. Thank you, says someone. 
and Louis tries very hard not to look like he's losing it when a hand that looks like a shadow on a foggy night reaches out and begins petting Clifford. Clifford is simply excited to make friends. He wags his tail and wags his body and jumps up toward, well, darkness. I'm sorry, Louis says, blinking heavily. I really don't want to be rude, but is there a reason I can't see you? The stranger's hand pauses in Clifford's fur. Oh, they say. Yes, I'm sorry, I completely forgot. And like turning on a light switch, suddenly there is a tall man with curly hair right in front of him. Louis screeches and punches a man. Holy shit, says the man. Or, or the someone. The someone man. He dissolves into black smoke again as soon as Louis's hand connects. You didn't have to do that. I... Louis grimaces down at his own fist. Well, you startled me. A nearly invisible being in a park at night doesn't startle you, but a normal-looking human does? A normal-looking human does if he wasn't there a moment ago, Louis argues. Christ, it's Halloween. There's enough jump scares as it is. Well, I guess I'll warn you next time, the someone says, sounding deeply sarcastic. Please do, Louis says. Clifford barks. He seems a bit confused as to where the man went, but he goes back to Happy Wiggles when the handmaid of darkness goes back to petting him. So, is this one of those ghosts appearing only on All Hallows' Eve nights or something? Louis asks, trying to look casual. The brief moment that someone was a man, he was very good-looking. What? Oh, no, I'm always here. Just look a bit ridiculous in the light, so I wait until the sun's gone down to come out. You live in this park? Louis asks. You try getting someone to rent you a flat when you look like this. Louis can vaguely see that the being is motioning to themselves. Well, I do sort of see what you mean. Louis frowns. What about when it rains? I get wet. Louis frowns deeper. Well, that sort of sucks, he says. You're not wrong. Are you, I don't know, some sort of interdimensional hell demon? A fairy? Some other being that my mum read picture books about to me as a child? The being maybe cocks his head to the side. I mean, I think I might be vaguely related to the Mothman, but I've never met him. Interesting, Louis nods. Can I take a photograph of you? Is this one of those for science things? Are you going to call the government about me? Because let me warn you now, they really don't care. I was just going to post it on Instagram, but that is a very sad sentence, Louis says. Oh, Instagram. Sure, why not? I'll take a selfie with you. There's a lack of sarcasm in that response where Louis really thinks there should be, but he goes with it and pulls out his phone, turning it to selfie mode and pulling a face, crossing his eyes and tapping the button. The picture, when he clicks to it, very clearly shows his own face, and not too far behind him, too glowing red eyes. Holy shit, Louis says. That's awesome looking. Can I see? asks the being. Louis holds out the phone and he hears echoey laughter. That's not too bad. I'm posting it, Louis says. The wind is picking up and he shivers, drawing his hoodie around his neck. Do you at least have like some catacombs around here to sleep in? What do I look like? A demon? I'm not messing with whatever's in there at night. Louis does not deign to point out that this being does look vaguely like a demon. Well, 
Why did you look like a man, briefly? Because that's the easiest way to not scare the shit out of someone, usually. You're the reader who's okay with talking to darkness. Are you at least, like, immortal or something? Can you fly? I tripped over a tree branch about ten minutes ago. So you're like a pretty useless demon. I'm just a guy who looks a bit weird. Normal lifespan, normal thoughts, I just want to play FIFA and drink beer like everyone else. Louis frowns. Have you ever played FIFA? Just once. I can't look normal like that for very long, but I snuck into someone's house once and did it for a bit. It's very fun. The being sounds wistful. Louis thinks for a moment. I have FIFA, he says. Now you're just rubbing it in. What can you trade me for a night of FIFA and beer? The being thinks. More Instagram pictures, he asks. I can scare your enemies for you. You have enemies? I don't think so, but I'll go down my Facebook friends list and see. Louis looks contemplatively in the being's general direction. What's your name? Harry, says Harry. All right, Harry, says Louis. I'm Louis, and I assume you're a figment of my imagination brought on by a mysterious brownie or an interdimensional hell demon who is here because it's Halloween. But all my friends have kids, and I want some excitement in my life, so I'll make you a deal. You can come back to my place, and we will play FIFA and have beer. There is silence. The being, Harry, waits for a moment. Then, okay, so what's the deal part of that? I think that's just an offer, not a deal. Louis scrunches up his face. God, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. It's cold out here. Look, just come play FIFA. If you're still there in the morning when the sun rises, then I'll figure out the second half of that deal. Okay, as long as it doesn't end in anything freaky, Harry says. No feet pics. Louis laughs very loudly at that, exciting Clifford into barking. Fine, he says. You strike a tough bargain. His flat is just at the edge of the park, which is good because walking with Harry is very confusing. It feels like he's alone, but also not alone at the same time. Will you set off alarms? Louis asks as they enter the building. Can you break into places? As the room bathes the two of them in light, Louis gets a much more defined look at Harry. He looks more human-shaped now, but like a human-shaped cloud of darkness. I can't squeeze through things, so I don't know. There's not a lot of open doors with alarms waiting for you to walk through them. Fine point. Louis finds that he does have to hold the lift open, because it doesn't recognize Harry as a being, so that counts for something. Or against something. He thinks maybe he should be embarrassed inviting a man into his very messy flat, but Harry is made of darkness and probably straight, so it's fine. Clifford immediately jumps onto and takes up the entire sofa when Louis unclips his lead, which makes Harry laugh as Louis pulls beers out of the refrigerator. You'll have to push him off if you want space, Louis says. I just squeeze around him. The first game of FIFA is difficult because Harry has some issue pressing the buttons. Also because he doesn't understand most of the rules. Or any of the rules. But by the third game, he seems to have almost gotten the hang of it. Louis spends a lot of time in wonder, watching as his form becomes only slightly more physical so that he can drink the beer Louis shared with him. He half expects there to just be a puddle of beer soaking into the couch where Harry is, but when Harry does move, it's dry. Also, 
Harry's hilarious for a being of darkness who spent most of his life in a park. He apparently just spends a lot of his time petting people's dogs and stealing food from the cafe at the far edge. It's a life, he says with a shrug. It's gone three in the morning when Louis realizes how tired he is. Harry seems to notice and puts down the controller. I should go, he says, sounding mournful. Louis looks out the window and sees pinpricks of tiny raindrops landing on the window pane. It's wet outside, he says. Sleep on the sofa and leave in the morning. Really? Louis shrugs. I mean, you're probably an interdimensional hell demon, but my mom gave me a rosary once, I think, so I'll be fine. And Clifford loves the attention. Clifford seems confused by Harry's presence, but in a happy way, where he keeps laying his head on Harry's feet and then sort of sliding off. I mean, if you're sure. If you're still here in the morning, I'll introduce you to Call of Duty. I think you're going to be really bad at it. Louis isn't sure how he can tell that Harry's grinning, but he can. Deal, he says. Harry isn't gone in the morning. Or the morning after or the month after. Sometimes having a roommate made out of darkness can lead to good things, like scaring your friend Liam shitless at every opportunity, and kissing a corporeal form, which is a bit electrifying. Sometimes having a spouse made of darkness can make it confusing to adopt children, but not impossible, and that's what's important. Hi, my name is Tabby, and today I'll be reading Don't Bring the Starbucks by Lady Londonderry. This fic is rated teen and up. The pairing is Niall Horan, Rory McElroy, and some of the tags include alternate universe science fiction, royalty, witness protection, alternate universe space, space travel, minor character death, you'll like it, don't worry, it's no one you care about, carnivorous flying deer, references to the Truman Show, engagement, memory loss, memory alteration, something vaguely assembling the basic thought of Jupiter ascending. The summary reads, The one where Niall is a perfectly normal university student until he finds himself an ocean away in the middle of Ohio with a strange man telling him to stop wandering off. Then he's in space. It's a whole thing. If Niall Horan knows one thing, it's that the United States are, in fact, very far from the United Kingdom. That little bit of trivia is now being called into question, however, as he was definitely in a train station at York two minutes ago, and now he is standing at the edge of a field next to a sign that's claiming that he is at the Ohio State University Airport. There are cows. What the fuck? Now whispers, shielding his eyes from the sunlight. He takes his phone out of his pocket, only to find that he has zero signal. Will a UK-based SIM card even work in America? It's not a question he's ever had to ask himself. And the time, 12.06 p.m., showing on the screen, definitely doesn't match his early morning commute of only a few minutes ago. What the fuck? He whispers again. He wonders if this is what it feels like to be in a dream in the moment, and maybe he'll wake up soon and this will all feel very distant and cloudy and properly dreamlike. If that's the case, though, it really doesn't explain the sweltering heat or the way his shirt is starting to stick to his back with sweat. He packed for a day taking classes in buildings with temperatures in the high 60s, not whatever this horrible place is. He starts walking only because he can't think of another option. There's a dirt road to his right that claims to be an airport, although it doesn't really look like one, and cows in the fields surrounding it. 
To his left, there's a row of huge American-style houses that look like each of them could fit a family of 12 easily. Seeing as how it's the middle of the day, he's not sure how much luck he'd have trying the doorbells, or even what he'd say. Hello, I was in England a second ago. Can I use your phone to call the British Embassy? Oh, the British Embassy. That's not too bad of an idea, is it? Sure, he has no idea where that is, or what he'd tell them, but certainly something to keep in mind. It's a good 15 minutes before Nile reaches an intersection on this road. The one connecting it is significantly busier, with lots of cars and rows of big warehouse-style shops. He can see a Walmart, a Whole Foods, a Golf World, now that one's interesting, and in the distance, a Starbucks. Starbucks means internet. It's still a ways off, and he's got a wet patch of sweat on his front from the sunlight directly overhead, but without any better options available, Nile sets off in that direction, hoping his phone has enough juice to connect to the Wi-Fi, and he can figure out some sort of solution. Nile has no American money, but hallelujah, scanning his Starbucks app works, and he's informed that his vanilla latte will be at the counter soon. Nile could kiss the barista. He's feeling so much better now that he's in an air-conditioned building and out of the direct sunlight. He'll look like a lobster soon, he's pretty sure. Finally, collapsing into a chair after almost 45 minutes of walking, he takes out his phone and connects to the Wi-Fi. The messages on his group me begin pouring in, unleashed like a flood. From Louis. Where's Niall? From Zane. I don't know, I'm not in your class. I mean, you could still know where Niall is, but go off, was Louis's response. Don't be like this, Zane had sent back. From Liam, stop fighting, go back to sleep. From Louis, put your phone on silent, limo. From Zane, does anyone know where Nile is, though? Seriously. From Louis, God damn it, Liam, you haven't found him? Nile rolls his eyes. Hey, he texts them. I'm not making it to class today. I got on the wrong train or something, and now I'm in America. Nile calls the barista at the counter. Nile walks over to grab his drink. In retrospect, why on earth did he order something hot? And sees the name scribbled across the side. Nile. N-I-L-E. He's had worse. Louis texts. How did you get on the wrong train? Literally only one train goes to that station. Is that a euphemism for being hungover? Nile actually has no clue how to explain that. But it turns out he doesn't have to. Because at that very moment, a man walks into the cafe and makes direct eye contact with him. Niall Horan, the man says. Oh shit, thinks Niall. Um, no? The man, American by his accent, with short dark hair and dark eyes, stalks over to his table like he's on a mission. Niall Horan, he says again. Definitely not, says Niall. You wandered off, the man accuses him. Niall wonders if this man is here to murder him. I don't even know you, he says, trying to figure out if he can get around this man and make it to the door fast enough. Maybe he could knock the table over. No, it's bolted to the ground. The man sits at the table. The barista is giving him a dirty look. Niall thinks he should have bought a drink. I'm Rory, he says. I've been tasked with protecting you. Oh, this is still a dream, thinks Niall. Then, this is a really long dream. No wonder I'm always tired when I wake up. You did a shit job of it, Niall says, deciding to feign confidence, considering I was on a whole different continent this morning. Well, this morning, your life wasn't in danger, hisses the man, apparently named Rory, exasperated. Pretty sure my life isn't in danger now either, Nile points out, but my grades are, considering I'm missing all of my Wednesday classes. Rory gives him a look. It's an exasperated sort of look. 
It's strangely familiar somehow. They're interrupted by a beeping coming from something resembling a smartwatch on Rory's wrist. He glances down at it and then stands. We have to go, he says. I can very much assure you that I'm not leaving, Niall says. It's hot outside and there's aircon in here and also I definitely do not know you, which I'm pretty sure means I'm not supposed to follow you to a secondary location. I know all about stranger danger. I swear to the great moths above, Rory mutters, looking heavenward. It's not stranger danger. I've known you since you were five. Now, if you're not willing to walk out of the Starbucks with me, I will transport us from in here, but it's going to make a lot of people think they've gone insane. It's a dream, Niall says. No one will notice. That's how dreams work. I'm not moving. He sips his latte. It's lukewarm. Right, says Rory. Not a dream, but whatever makes you feel better. He fiddles with his watch until it begins to glow and then reaches across the table and grabs Niall's wrist. His grip is strong and his hand is large and Niall, well, he's not entirely against what's going on here. All the same, he reminds himself, stranger danger. He grips the table in case this mysterious Rory tries to do some sort of martial art technique or just pulls. Don't grip the table, Rory says. His watch glows brighter. This will transport whatever we're holding on to, and since the table's bolted to the floor, the whole building will come with us. I'm not letting go of the table, now says. Then quotes, You're not getting me to no secondary location, sister. Rory reaches out his other hand and slaps Niall's hand lightly. Stop acting like a spoiled child. I am a spoiled child, Niall says. I'm the youngest. You're the oldest, actually, Rory says. His watch's blue glow has spread until it's almost encompassed both of them. Now let go of the table, or else everyone in this establishment will suddenly find themselves outside, and then they'll all have to go to therapy. No, Niall says petulantly. Yes, says Rory, and slaps his hand again. Then, in the blink of an eye, a white light erupts from Rory's watch, blinding Niall, and he feels his ears pop. It takes a few moments before Niall's vision returns, but when he does, he finds that the Starbucks is much dimmer and much, much emptier. Rory has a hand over his face. You held on to the fucking table, he groans. I'm going to get in trouble for this. It's also eerily silent, Niall realizes. They're the only two in the building now, and there's no coffee machines running, no air conditioning, no Hamilton remix playing over the speakers. What the fuck, he says. Well, might as well face his wrath now, Rory says, standing up. Listen, you can stay here alone if you want, but you're already in a secondary location. You might as well just come with me at this point. Are we still in Ohio? Niall asks. He realizes his latte is gone. He stands up. We're not, says Rory. We're not even on Earth anymore. He turns and walks towards the door. Welcome to the planet Solorius. You've been gone almost six years. Niall, not wanting to be alone in the eerie Starbucks, hastens to follow after him. Outside the Starbucks, they seem to be in a meadow. It could be any old meadow, if not for the fact that there are three bright moons in the sky above, and the occasional flowers they walk over glow with a soft white luminescence. This must be the longest dream I've ever had, Niall says to himself in wonder. Maybe I'm in a coma. You're not in a coma, Rory says, a few steps in front of him. Once again, I will reiterate, not a dream. Not really another option, Niall shouts, rushing to keep up. Rory keeps getting further in front of him. It's not Niall's fault his legs are shorter. The other option is that you've lived on Earth for the last six years because we didn't consider it safe for you to stay on your home planet, Rory says. 
as if this is a perfectly logical thing to say. But now that it looks like you've been found, it'll be easier for us to keep an eye on you from back here. Pretty sure I remember growing up on Earth now, says Huffing. Is Rory a professional speedwalker? In Ireland, to be precise. In fact, I have a very clear memory of falling down the stairs in secondary school, and a scar to prove it. Memories are easily altered, Rory says, finally slowing to a stop. You got that scar from falling down the stairs, but you did so in the castle tower after your father explicitly told you not to try mattress surfing. Mattress surfing. That does vaguely ring a bell. Ah, says Rory, here we go. He leans down and reaches for something in the tall grass, fiddling with it until now hears a clink and a chunk, and then a softly glowing set of stairs is revealed. How the fuck did you find that? Niall asks. Rory points to his watch. GPS. Well, that would make sense. He follows Rory down the stairs because, okay, he's right, Niall's already in a secondary location. This is like the fourth and dairy. It's too late for him. The stairs, walls, and sloping ceiling are all a brilliant white marble, and they descend for what has to be at least four floors. The door that they stop at is flush with the wall, although the stairs continue down below them. I'm going to tell him it's your fault there's a Starbucks up there, Rory warns Niall as he opens the door. Well, I don't think that's really fair, Niall says, following him. They enter a large room with screens of different sizes covering all the walls, and one man in the middle is sitting in a tall chair and surveying them. The man actually looks close to Niall's age, with long curls and a cutting jawline. He looks rather put out, eyeing Rory. There's a building in my meadow, he says crossly. That is not my fault, Rory says immediately. Blame Niall, I told him to let go. The man focuses on Niall now. Welcome home. You've put a Starbucks on my lawn. In my defense, I think I've been kidnapped, Niall says. The man lets out a honking laugh, which startles Niall, although he grins after he recovers. Welcome home now, the man stands and walks over, holding out a hand. I'm Harry. You don't remember me, but I've been keeping a close watch on you. Niall shakes his hand but frowns. Do you mean that literally? Is that what these screens are for? Absolutely, Harry says. You know, nobody covers their laptop or phone cameras. You all should really start doing that. Niall suddenly feels very self-conscious, remembering all the time he's watched Netflix on his iPad in the shower. So is this a Truman Show sort of situation? It would be, Harry says, except I'm the only one who's been watching. It's my job. You were dispatched to Earth six years ago to keep you safe. And now that that safety's been compromised, the safest place is likely back here. Yeah, you keep saying that now, says. Like, are we talking soldiers? Is someone trying to kill me? And if I've only been on Earth six years, why do I have memories of living my whole life there? Your logic feels flawed here. Harry points to a screen, then snaps his fingers. The image on it changes from that of the dark meadow with the Starbucks in it to a video feed of Niall's music theory classroom. The camera is pointed right at him, and Niall recognizes it as Monday, because he'd been too lazy to get dressed that morning, opting to go to class in his green Love is Love pajama shirt that he'd gotten for free on his first day of class. This is so creepy, Niall says. You really should dress better, Rory says. Hush, Harry says. Look over there at that window. The window, from the camera angle, is almost directly behind Niall. It's got a lovely view of the campus green, but as Niall watches, a man walks into view. He looks old and rather misshapen, his cheeks covered in graying, unshaven beard, and his eyes gazing blankly. He looks straight into the window, sending shivers down now when he seems to look right through him, 
But then his professor walks up to the podium, and as soon as he reaches it, the man in the window seems to dissolve into a purplish blobby texture, melting out of view. Oh, gross, Niall says. So what, that old man is after me? That old man is after the crown, Rory says. So yes, he's after you. He'd be next in line through distant relation. The... Niall blinks. The what? Ah, yes, Rory says. We haven't explained that part. It'll be easier just to get your memory back to you. Hold up, Niall says. First of all, what the fuck? But second of all, you just left that guy there? Why didn't you just, I don't know, kill him? That'd technically be illegal, Harry says, looking uncomfortable. Our jobs are just to protect you. And as you're not in direct danger, as much as we'd like to, I don't think any of us want to risk ending up in prison. But Niall looks at the screen. The hymn of two days ago is whispering something to Louis. I have friends there. What if he goes after them? That's not our priority, Roy says. Our priority was getting you out of danger. Although I do want the cute one to be safe, Harry mutters. Our priority now is going back into danger, Niall says. I don't know what the fuck is going on, but if you're not bullshitting me, then I'm some sort of royalty or something. So you've got to do what I say, right? Absolutely not, Roy says. We serve you, but we also serve the kingdom. The kingdom needs you alive. He puts a hand on Niall's lower back. Now we need to get your memory back. I think that would help you remember where your priorities need to lie. All right, Niall says. We get my memory back, and then we go get my friends. How about that? You always did have a rebellious streak, Harry says, grinning. Come on, Rory. We'll get his memory back, then collect his friends. Don't encourage him, Rory says, voice low. Look, memory first, and then we go from there, okay? Good enough, Niall says. How do we do that? We come this way, Rory says the hand at the base of Niall's spine, guiding him around and toward the door again. And we don't say things that would give us away while out in the kingdom. I'm full of idiotic remarks. Just try and stop me, Niall says. Wait for me, Harry shouts, falling. My job has been watching you for six years. I can't just not come now. Rory leads them out and down. Out the door to the marble stairs and down, down, down the stairs again. They pass a few doors, but the stairs are otherwise entirely deserted and quiet. Besides, Harry's chattering because he seems very excited to talk about all the Earth television that Niall watches. It feels like they've gone down for nearly a mile before the stairs finally end at a much larger iron door. Rory stands in front of it and a blue light flashes across him. A kachunk sounds and the door swings inward. Welcome to your kingdom, your royal highness, Rory says. They walk through the door and Niall is met with bright and busy and hordes of people. It feels like he's stepped into the heart of London, except the sky above them is white and very clearly a roof high above them. There's also not the familiar smell of car fumes that Niall is used to in the big city. People walk this way and that, and they all look terribly fashionable, but like a fashion from a few years in the future, something just a little different. Your castle is up that way, Harry says, pointing to a light tan-colored castle in the distance. It's very nice, but a little drafty in the winter, if I'm honest. We're not going there, though, Rory says, leading them down a side street. Niall looks behind him at the building they've just left, and it seems to be a door that leads right into the side of a grassy knoll. He has flashbacks to the Teletubbies. Down three more side streets, and then into a very normal-looking building, Rory walks up to the desk and asks for a Dr. Higgins. Niall has begun rethinking his life choice as they're taken back to an exam room. This is looking less like a dream but also maybe he's been abducted by aliens. Harry and Rory seem nice, but he can't possibly trust them. 
They're complete strangers, after all, and Harry seems nice enough, and Rory seems, well, exasperated and worried, but also very good-looking, with large, strong hands and hairy arms, but gosh, that really isn't technically the point, but... Hello, Niall. A man in a white doctor's outfit reaches out a hand for Niall to shake. Hello, person I've never met, Niall says, shaking his hand. Rory face palms. Harry laughs. Dr. Higgins smiles. Yes, that sounds about right. Listen, today all I'm going to do is take the little receptor out of your arm that's been blocking and replacing your memories. Give me two minutes. It's just a little bit more work than a shot. I feel like you're going to kill me, now says, because he feels like being honest. That's fair, Dr. Higgins laughs, but I promise I am not, in fact, going to kill you. It does sting a little, though, so you might want to hold Rory's hand. You did last time. Rory holds out his hand. He looks rather sullen at the prospect. I don't think Rory wants to hold my hand, Niall says. I do, Rory disagrees. Why wouldn't I? That face, Niall argues. That, this is just how I look, Rory argues back. Oh, just hold hands, Harry says, grabbing both their wrists and forcing their hands together. I see you haven't changed a bit in your six years of seclusion, Harry, Dr. Higgins says. Never will, Harry replies brightly. Rory's hand is warm and strong in Niles, and he grips it because he has no idea what's coming. God, he's always hated the doctor. He shuts his eyes tight and tries to think happy thoughts. The Rams winning the championship, passing his classes with high marks, the year he took before university to go to Spain, the way Rory's eyes look, their first kiss when he turned 18. What? Niall opens his eyes. There's a pinprick of pain in his shoulder that Dr. Higgins is covering with a plaster. Hey, shouts Niall, pulling Rory closer to him by their still conjoined hands. You didn't think to tell me in the last few hours that we're engaged? Rory shrugs. I thought it would be a lot of explaining when we didn't have the time. You didn't think it would maybe be worth it to tell the love of your life that he's the love of your life, Niall shrieks? Harry lets out a loud and startling laugh. This is what I was hoping for. Niall wrenches Rory's arm toward himself, and the rest of Rory follows. In my defense, you didn't wait for me when I transported you, which is, by the way, very hard to do from a distance, and then you insisted on taking all of a Starbucks with you. You didn't seem in the mood to listen. You infuriate me, Niall says. He leans forward and kisses Rory. Rory kisses back. Niall takes that moment to grab onto Rory's other wrist and smash his palm onto the transporter. Now we're fucking going to Earth, he says as it starts to glow blue. And then you're going to fucking kiss me again. I'm coming too, Harry shouts, grabbing onto Rory's shoulder. You're just as stubborn as ever, Rory says, and Niall sees the grin that spreads across his features just before they're all enveloped in blue light. The transporter pinpoints location through analysis, and Niall maybe should have concentrated on a place rather than a person. Concentrating on a person can be a much more dizzying experience, as the transporter has to triangulate their location, and it can take a little longer to get to them. Still, Niall had concentrated on thoughts of Liam, because if anyone was going to be both an easy target and unable to defend himself, it was going to be Liam. When they finally touch down, Niall stumbles to his knees before scrambling back up again, blinking furiously to try to clear his vision. Rory doesn't let go of his hand, which does sort of hurt because they're twisted in odd directions, but Niall is thankful for it considering he has no idea where he is. When he's finally able to see again, as well as register the noise going on around him, Niall finds himself in the middle of a very confusing situation. Rory is next to him, stance slightly crouched like he's ready to throw a punch. 
Harry's on his other side, standing tall and looking concerned and unsure of what to do. In front of him seems to be Liam and Louis's dorm room, judging by the messy, unmade beds and Rover and Wolves posters on opposite walls. That's more of a side point, though, considering the height of the action lies where Liam is sprawled out on his bed, hands up in surrender. The man that Nal saw through that window earlier is leaning over him, yelling and holding what looks to be a TV antenna like a sword. Behind him are Louis and Zane, each brandishing steak knives that definitely aren't clean because none of these people ever do dishes. Probably Louis was previously yelling something about let him go or else, but now he's looking in Niall's direction and yelling something more along the lines of what the fucking shit is going on? Rory, Niall shouts, kill him. He's threatening Liam with an antenna. That means you can kill him. I literally don't have a weapon, Rory shouts back, but he lets go of Niall's hand, picking up a large heavy laptop from the floor and throwing it like a frisbee at the man's head. The man swerves, but it goes through part of his forehead and a chunk of purple goo goes with it. Oh, that's gross, Nile yells. What the fuck, Louis yells. This is so cool, Zane yells. Ah, Liam yells. Harry just sort of flails. Rory goes for something else to pick up and finds a textbook of medieval history, chucking it at the Goo Man as well. It hits him and takes out a corner of his shoulder. Goo Man growls and turns on them. You, he shouts. You will die, Nile Horn. I will be king. What's your name, Nile shouts back. I seriously can't remember. The man brandishes his TV antenna in Niall's direction, and it starts to glow at the tip. I will be King Simon of the Three Realms. Just three, Niall asks. His memory is still a bit foggy on the bigger picture. He asks this right before Rory pushes him out of the way of a beam of light that burns a hole in the carpet. Be thankful for the three. They're nice realms, Rory shouts at him, before grabbing a steak knife out of Louis's hand. All of you are rather useless, you know that? He rounds on Simon, very much not a king, and slices clean through his neck with a steak knife that clearly has pad thai encrusted on it. Simon's head liquidizes, as does his body moments later. Immediately it disperses, soaking into the carpet or through the wooden floor. You did it, now shouts, grabbing Rory by the waist and kissing him, because they're engaged, you know. He has a vague memory of telling Rory that he was going to marry him when they were only seven. Ah, the older memories come back slower, but they sure are good ones. I very much did not, Rory says. He's not dead, just gone to recollect himself somewhere else. Yeah, but none of my friends are dead, now shrugs. Ooh, and now I guess we have no choice but to put them all in witness protection at the castle with me. It only makes total sense. This is very confusing, Louis says weakly. I'm rather sure I'm going to vomit, Liam says. If I'm going into witness protection, I want a cool new name, Zane says. Niall smiles brightly at Rory, who rolls his eyes. Whatever you say, Rory says. We all know this is how you ended up with deer as castle pets. And they're the best pets, Harry says, especially Anathema. She trusts me enough to ride her when she flies now. Witness protection is a very loose term, as Liam, Louie, and Zane all have transporters so that they can continue to attend their classes. Even though Solorius is nine universes away, they've recently switched to wind power for the sake of using clean energy, so the transporters are charged fast enough that they can make up to three jumps a day which has landed Louis especially stranded several times when he's gotten overexcited. Niall and Rory are married on the cliffs of Rulan, overlooking the castle and as close to the surface of the planet as is possible to get. The finest of the kingdom is in attendance, and when there are crowned kings that night at midnight, as is tradition, Harry gets his first kiss. It's hard to date when you spend six years straight in a room watching another guy live his life and then falling hard for his best friend. Simon makes his final appearance four years later, 
but he does so in the palace, and his ocellorious deer are carnivorous, when now gives the command he is quickly devoured. It's not a bloodbath, per se, but it is rather gooey. The three kingdoms of Solorius lived peacefully through the end of Nile and Rory's reign. Hi, my name is Anitra, and today I'll be reading Moon Dances Over by Lady Londonderry. This fic is rated general. The pairing is Harry Styles and Louis Tomlinson, and some of the tags are Alternate Universe Merpeople and Alpha Beta Omega Dynamics. The summary says, Louis knows that his tail is frankly stunning. His iridescent blue scales shimmer in even the slightest sunlight, and his fins have grown since he presented, delicate and almost transparent in their webbing. He also knows that that means he'll be one of the first to pick tonight, as the most beautiful omegas are blessed to pick their mates first. It's considered a huge honor, since the guppies they'll eventually birth will certainly be beautiful as well, bringing favor on the whole clan. Louis has a stubborn streak, though. He's always been rather a fan of mating for love, and there's someone he's had his eye on for a long time now. There are only a few nights each season when the moon is visible below the surface of the water. Only on nights of the full moon when the skies are cloudless does its cool light filter down below the waves that drift along the surface of the loch. It's been raining on and off for months now, covering up the moonlight on the few nights it could have reached them, and delaying the ceremony again and again. Louis feels like he's been waiting a century. The mating ceremony only happens once a year, on the first moonlit night after the solstice. Louis was unfortunate enough to present only a few months after last year's ceremony, spending his first heat as a full omega under the corals where he was protected by the currents. Although he's always known how he would present, now that it's a reality, the waiting has felt almost unbearable. The lock isn't that large of a place, and his eyes have been drawn to every eligible alpha he's come across, even though he's known most of them since childhood. They look different now, though, their colorful tails more alluring. Louis knows that his tail is frankly stunning. His iridescent blue scales shimmer in even the slightest sunlight, and his fins have grown since he presented, delicate and almost transparent in their webbing. He also knows that that means he'll be one of the first to pick tonight, as the most beautiful omegas are blessed to pick their mates first. It's considered a huge honor, since the guppies they'll eventually birth will certainly be beautiful as well, bringing favor on the whole clan. Louis has a stubborn streak, though. He's always been rather a fan of mating for love, and there's someone he's had his eye on for a long time now. It's a cloudless night, just as Louis had hoped and prayed. The moonlight dances off the scales of his tail as he swims down the lane, casting jewels of light onto the kelp that lined the path. Louis's heart pounds in his chest as he registers that this is it. This is the night that will change his life. Louis, slow down, you absolute catfish! Louis twists his tail in front of him to stop in place, and Niall barely misses swimming into him. Shit, you know I'm not as good with maneuvering in freshwater. I don't know how you all do it. You should come visit my birth clan sometime and see how you like it when I run into you. Saltwater would bleach my hair like it bleached yours, so I'm never visiting your Irish ocean clan. Sorry, not sorry, Louis says, beginning to swim forward again. Niall's hair has almost entirely grown out the bleach blonde that once framed his face, but it's still a fair point. All right, hush, Niall says. I know it wasn't a good look for me, but it's not my fault. I won't take all the blame. My whole clan was blonde. And you made the right decision to leave, Louis says, 
twisting out of the way as Niall's orange tail comes up to slap him. You're infuriating. It's a good thing we're both getting mated off tonight so I don't have to keep waking up to your ugly face. Louis rolls his eyes. You'll miss me, he says. He reaches out and grabs Niall by the wrist, urging him faster. Now come on, I'm not going to be the cliché, fashionably late Omega to the mating ceremony. I've read enough books about that already. The mating ceremony this year has seven newly presented Omegas, Louis and Niall included. The seven of them sit with their tails neatly splayed around them at the edge of the drop, right in the patch of moonlight so that it can show off their scales to the crowd, and the alphas, below. Louis leans forward and looks over the edge. The whole clan is spread out below them, some floating in place while others, mostly those with guppies, rest on the rocks at the bottom of the drop. The alphas swim in attendance in front of them, above the crowd, each of them holding the box that, if chosen, they will present to their omega. Louis can see that the proudest, the ones most sure of their chances, are at the front. There's Luke with his tail that shines in the light with hues of green and yellow, there's Zane with a satiny dark tail that flashes purple under the moon and blue in the sunlight. There's Ollie, who definitely thinks too highly of himself, with an orange tail that's not got much shine to it at all. The alphas near the back are the ones with duller colors, less reflective or less bright or, well, just plain smaller. And Omega knows what to look for. He's always been told. Good tails mean good genes, and good genes mean healthy guppies. Louis looks down and thumps the end of his tail against the lock floor, watching the mud that filters up around it. He's a little vain, sure, but he's also been told from the time he was born just how beautiful his tail is. The shine and the shape and the graceful fins. He's worked hard to keep those fins from getting torn in rough play or losing scales from a rough heat like some careless omegas do. He's done everything that's expected of him, but he looks at that front row of alphas and he knows— he knows that his inner Omega isn't calling to any of them. When the moon finally reaches directly overhead, which Louis mostly notices because Niall grabs his hand and squeezes it like he's trying to pop the eyes off a trout, Lady Oak swims up before them and recites the ceremonial vows, her mermaid tongue twisting the words into a haunting song about being bound for life to one's lover. Louis shivers as the words wash over him at the magnitude of their meaning. When she ends her speech, Louis suddenly realizes he wishes badly that he wasn't one of the best-looking Omegas here, because he really doesn't want to be first. But then Lady Oak makes eye contact with him and raises her hand, and Louis's heart nearly stops in his chest. She's signaled that he's first, and that his choosing begins now. With adrenaline pumping through him, Louis drifts upward, Released from Niall's grip, his hands still tingly from blood loss, he makes his way slowly towards the group of alphas. He can't smell them now, but he knows that after he's mated, they'll be able to walk above the surface in imitation of humans, and he's heard that the smell of an alpha is absolutely intoxicating. The alphas part for him, silent, as he makes his way through the group. There's always been more alphas than omegas in the clan, and for some, this is their second and even third year. Those are the ones more likely to hang toward the back, knowing their chances aren't good. Their scales aren't bright enough. Louis passes by Zane and knows, as all the Omegas do, that if anyone were to choose him before Niall was allowed, then they would find themselves in a world of misery. Not that he wanted Zane to start with, but all the same, he smirks at him in passing. 
He passes many hopeful eyes as he makes his way around the group, but it takes a while until the one he desires comes into view. At the very back of the group, eyes downcast to the crowd below and clutching in white-knuckled hands the box he's made to offer, is the alpha that Louis's known from day one is the one he's wanted to claim. He couldn't believe it when Harry wasn't chosen in the first mating ceremony two years ago, but hadn't let himself hope yet. Last year, when Harry once again went home without a mate, Louis's heart soared with possibilities, but also with anger, because who could possibly overlook this kind and beautiful man two years in a row? No one in this clan could rival Harry, but he presented so long before Louis that he was sure there would be no chance. At the same time, he knows why Harry hasn't been chosen. His tail is long and thin, black and white striped like the zebrafish that live off the southern coast of Asia. He doesn't fit with the rest of the clan, unnaturally long and colorless. Louis loves him for it all the more, but he's heard the whispers that surely Harry will become one of the clan guards, as all the single alphas eventually do. Harry doesn't look up at first, clearly assuming Louis would pass by him as well. Louis has to pause in front of him, ruining the dramatic moment until Harry finally acknowledges him, locking eyes with him and a look of pure shock on his face. Louis reaches out and takes the box from his hands because Harry clearly isn't going to offer it. He opens it and takes a good look at the ring inside. It's a hoop of silver, heavy and sturdy, with two sharp ends with a small gap between and an inscription in Mer's script that reads, You bring me home. Are you sure? Harry asks, voice quiet and expression concerned. Louis knows that the eyes of the whole clan are on him now, and that he'd really rather this ceremony go off without having to have a long, in-depth conversation about why he's pined after this man for years. His kindness, his gentleness, his beautiful striped tail, to name a few. So instead, he takes the ring out and hands the box back to Harry, whose shaking fingers nearly drop it. I pledge myself, says Louis, reciting the ceremonial words carefully. Mind, heart, and spirit, eyes and tongue, to my true alpha, for as long as the seas will flow. He brings the ring up to his mouth and slips his tongue between the gap, quickly pinching it closed and wincing as it pierces through his tongue. As a few drops of blue blood make their way into the water, the crowd below cheers. Louis can see the confusion on the faces of a few of them and knows he's going to get a lot of people questioning him later. He may have just made himself a bit of a social pariah. Those with beautiful scales always choose those with beautiful scales, after all. Louis reaches forward and grabs onto Harry's free hand, intertwining their fingers and then intertwining their tails. Twisted together, they sink to the floor below among the crowd. Harry's grip on his hand is even stronger than Niles had been. Are you okay? Louis asks quietly as the ceremony begins again above them. He has a bit of a lisp now with the silver piece on his tongue. He'll have to get used to that. Uh, says Harry. He stares directly into Louis's eyes. You are the most beautiful Omega I've ever seen, he says. And you're wearing my ring. I am, Louis says. Are you sure? Harry asks again. It's a bit late now, Louis says, but of course I'm sure. I've been sure since I first laid eyes on you when we were guppies. The metal of the ring clinks against his teeth. Oh, says Harry, and then he blinks. I'm going to build you the best home in the lock and then give you a million guppies to fill it with. Louis laughs. 
Slow down, he says. I'd love that, but kiss me first. And Harry does, the slide of his scales a welcome feeling of warmth as their tails intertwine ever tighter, a promise of togetherness. This was a special birthday episode for Emu. You can find all of the fics we've read today and many more on her AO3. She is Lady Londonderry on there. You can also follow her on Tumblr at London Fog in a Cup. If you want to see any of our posts, you can find us on Tumblr as well at podfic-pals.tumblr.com. You can also listen to any of our other episodes through Anchor, anchor.fm forward slash podfic-pals. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and until next time.